Welcome to The Hookup. Today, how to hook up. We're going to talk about how to date biblically and successfully. And I got to tell you what, I'm really excited about today because I feel good about today. Because we're here at Burrow Park and we're headed over to the flower child. And you know what? Ben, who's on the other side of the camera. A lot of people are asking, who's doing this camera work? Ben on the other side of the camera, he had a really great hot smoking date at the flower child recently. So there's some good vibes going on there. And not only that, there is a quote. When I rolled up this morning to the flower child, there's a quote by Shakespeare on the front window. And I'm using that quote in today's message. Shakespeare said, if music be the food of love, play on. So today we're going to get our love on. And I feel like some of us, we're going to turn the corner today on our dating life as we look into what the Bible has to say about dating and what successful dating is. Everybody, here's the thing. Almost 100% of us want to get married. Almost 90% of us will get married. And today, I want to say it right up front. It's time to plan. We need to come up with a winning plan. It is time to plan so that we have a great dating life. Look, I've put in your uh, notes there at the bottom of the notes tab. The dating project. You can watch this on Amazon. I want to encourage you to do it. And you'll see one of the experts in there says, you know what? We plan for everything in life. Why aren't we planning better for dating? When it comes to getting a job, starting a career, we don't go stand in some office building somewhere and wait for an HR rep to come down off the elevator to say, hey, you want a job? Nobody would do that. But that's how we handle our dating life. No, no, no. We got to come up with a winning plan, a successful plan, and because we're in church, a biblical plan. And there is one. All right. Almost 100% of us want to get married. Almost 90% of us will get married. Let me give you a couple tips right off the start, right? Our stomachs and our noses are very romantic. I know that seems crazy, but our stomachs, we're going into a food place today. I know you've heard the saying before, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Actually, men use food more strategically than women. For thousands of years, all around the world, men have been using food food to entice and to woo women. So men, please use food romantically in dating. But our noses are romantic. If you meet somebody and you feel like the sparks are flying, there's a really great chance that they smelled good to you. So be careful with the smell. I got to throw this in. I guess I've just learned all this stuff. I got to share it with somebody, right? We have a natural scent. And do you know that like perfume and cologne, that they put your sweat in it, not yours, but somebody's sweat, that kind of sounds gross, but we're attracted to those smells. Matter of fact, Napoleon, Napoleon wrote his significant other. He's coming back after a big long campaign and he's all ready to meet them. And he says, I'll be back on X day. Don't wash. Something about a natural smell. Check this out, check this out. In one culture, and they swear by this, you take a rag and you wipe off all your sweat. You get all lathered up in sweat and you wipe it off. And then you put hamburger meat inside of that sweaty rag of yours. And you, you let it sit in there for a while till the sweat kind of permeates that hamburger. And then, and then you take the hamburger, you make a hamburger and you fry it up and you serve it to the one that you're trying to woo into a romantic relationship with. They swear that it worked. A sweat burger, a sweat burger. They swear that it, that it works. All right, listen, I'm feeling really good about today. We're going to do some ABCs, the ABCs of dating. So let me take you on a date to the flower child. 
Okay. Here we go. We're going to get real specific today. How to date biblically, how to date successfully. We've got to come up with a plan. And here is the winning plan in an A, B, C form. The A is ask. You're like, is that it? Yes, ask. I went to a uh, seminar a few years ago about how to have a successful Easter. And they said this, you know what? In a church, if you want people to show up at Easter, here's step number one. You need to let people know the date of Easter. I'm like, really? Is that so basic? Let them know the date. They said, that is the most obvious first step. So do you want a successful dating life? Step number one, you need to ask. You have to ask somebody out on a date. It is the most obvious thing. Now, from the dating project, they give eight things about the date. The dating project has a lot to do with Boston College. There is a professor in the philosophy department at Boston College, and she noticed that the students at Boston College weren't dating. They were frustrated. They wanted to date, but nobody was dating. They were actually scared of dating. And what confused this philosophy professor, as she talked to students, students said, you know, I'm scared to go out on a date. It seems way too intimate to go out on a date. I, I, I know, I'm just uncomfortable with it. And he says, wait a minute, are you hooking up with people? Yeah, I'm hooking up with people. So let me get this right. You're okay with taking all your clothes off with somebody who's a total stranger to you, but you think it's too intimate to have a cup of coffee with them. That doesn't make any sense. So she teaches a class and she gives a dating assignment. And I want to read to you eight things off of her dating assignment because I just think they're so great. So you ready? Let's come up with successful dating. Here are eight things that she lists on her assignment. Number one, you ask, you pay. You ask, you pay. You need to ask somebody out on a date. And when you do, you pay. Now, these are college students. So she says you can't pay more than 10 bucks. There's number one. You need to ask somebody out on a date and be prepared to pay. Number two, you ask in person. Don't send a text. There's no texting here. Go to them in person and you say, I'd like to ask you out on a date. And number three, it's a date. It's not a hangout. You don't say you want to get together. You know what the problem is? And the dating project brings this out really in that documentary. There are a lot of people out on whatever they're out on. We don't know what they're out on. And one person's like, I think we're on a date. The other person's like, oh no, we're definitely not on a date, but they don't talk about what they're on. So people are like, I don't even know what we're doing. What are we doing? So she says, part of the assignment is you got to ask, you ask, you pay. And you got to say it's a date. I want to ask you out on a date. Clear. No confusion. We know what we're on. Number four, you got to plan the date. You ask, you plan. Now, planning obviously is going to play a big role today. You got to plan this thing because it's so important. Number five, the date only lasts 90 minutes. That's it. Unless the date is going really great. And if it's going really great, it only lasts 60 minutes. So the greater the date, the less of the time. 90 minutes the max, great date, 60 minutes. Number six, no touching. No touching, no alcohol, no drugs. Number seven, prepare only three questions. It's not an interrogation. You just want to get to know them. Three questions and only three questions. And then number eight, if you ask somebody out on a date and they're like, well, I don't know, check back with you later. Oh, no, there's no checking back. You're moving on. You're moving on. And we're going to talk about how to move on more in just a moment. But you move on. If the person doesn't immediately say yes, you move on to the next person. Now, I think 
What I need to hear is I need to hear some stories of some people after today who asked somebody out on a date. We got to hear more dating stories. The city of D.C., where we're broadcasting from right now, is 70% single. The highest concentration of singles of any city in the United States of America. So please ask somebody on a date. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, some of you asking, is it okay for the girl to ask on a date? Why not? There's a book in the Bible. It's called Ruth. There's only four chapters. You should read it. And it seems to me she's asking Boaz out Not only on a date, but she's asking him to get married. So, yeah, I think it's okay to ask on a date. Matter of fact, there's somebody outside the Bible. Her name is Krista. And at the age of 12, she asked this nice, young, handsome, cute little boy named John if he wanted to go out on a date. And they went on a date, and lo and behold, they got married. And today, John pastors Grace Community Church. So, yes, it's okay to ask out on a date. Girls can ask, but just ask. You want to ask somebody out on a date. Now, men. Let me talk directly to you. After I just said it's okay for girls to ask on a date. Men, do you want to be sexy? You'll never be sexy. But do you want to try to be sexy? You want to give the illusion that you're sexy? You're never going to be sexy. I'm never going to be sexy. But if you want to give the illusion that you're sexy, because all of us want to think that we're sexy, here's how you can be sexy. Pursue and plan. Pursue and plan. You know what women say? Over and over and over again, I hear this. Over and over and over again, and here's all this random information I've got. They keep saying, a man is never sexier than when he is pursuing me. They just think it's awesome when he's pursuing me and when he's planning for the date. Because if you're planning for the date, you're thinking about him, and they think it's sexy. You want to be, I want to give you full permission to be sexy. You're never going to be sexy, but I want to give you full permission to give the illusion that you're sexy. In her eyes, plan and pursue plan and pursue. They think it's really, really sexy. I was talking to Krista about some of the things we did when we were dating. We went ice skating, went roller skating. It seemed like we did a lot of skating. We went to parks for picnics. I had this little stuffed guitar. I can't sing and I can't play any instruments, but I would try to sing love songs to her. We did all kinds of goofy stuff, but there was a plan and there was a pursuit. So that's A, ask. So primary to the winning plan. And before we transition to B, it smells so good here. I'm going to ask for some food. Isn't that a wonderful looking salad? I got that for you because I wanted to take all of you on a date. Okay, here we go. B, A was ask. B is Bible study. What did you expect a preacher to say? But wait a minute, wait a minute. Just pause for a second because I know some of you here, they say, how's that going to help me with my dating life? Oh, it's going to help a lot because I have read now so many books and listen to so many experts and people say it over and over again. You got to know who you are before you have a successful date and before you have a successful marriage. You got to know who you are. And if the Bible is anything, it is an identity book. I have filled my mind with so much knowledge. I feel like in some ways I should break up with Krista and redate her all over again because I just am sure I can do better the second time around. So B is Bible study because the Bible is an identity book. It shapes right now. I want to read to you from Genesis chapter two. Pick up on identity as I read through this. Notice what it says about identity 
before marriage. Here we go. Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Boundaries are good. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Did you check out the identity there? Did you pick up on that? He had a purpose before he had a person. He had a purpose, identity, before he had a person. She had great worth before she became a great wife. Purpose before person, great worth before a wife. What do I hear over and over from men? What's my purpose? What's my purpose? What do I hear from women dating men? He needs a purpose. He needs to have a life. He needs to, right. And what do you hear women say all the time? Worth, worth, worth. I just got to know my worth. Oh, you just need to know your worth. You need to understand your worth before you get into dating. Worth and purpose. And it's right there in Genesis 2. The Bible is an identity book. It's an identity shaping book. Now listen to this. I've said this for years. Hurting people hurt people. Broken people break people. But check this out about identity. Confused people confuse people. If you're confused about your identity, you're going to confuse yourself and you're going to confuse others. How many times have you like tried to be on a dating relationship with somebody, had a relationship with somebody say, why did he do what he did? Why did she do what she did? Or sometimes we just say about ourselves, why did I do that? We're confused about who we are. We're confused about our identity. We need to be students of the word so that we're not confused about our identity. So think about this. I want you to stop reading the Bible. Yes, I said it. Stop reading the Bible. John, that's a strange thing for a preacher to say. I know it is, but you got to stop reading the Bible because the Bible was not meant to be read. The Bible was meant to be studied. Very clear in scripture. We are called to be students of the word not readers of the word. You got to start studying the Bible and stop reading the Bible. Great dates, everybody. And all of my research and all of my reading are made up of people with the same ingredients as we find in Jesus Christ. When somebody is a student of the word, they are molded, they are shaped into the very character of Christ. And that makes for a great date. You're not going to get that from reading the word. You're not going to get that by just by some kind of surface reading. I was talking to a buddy of mine recently. Actually, we were having lunch and he was sharing with me in the neighborhood that he lives in. Like there's a lot of houses and on the, on the front lawn of the house, there's this sign, right? This sign that says, hate has no home here. He says, yeah, hate has no home until your dog takes a dump in their yard. And all of a sudden hate has a big home there. Okay. Listen, listen, listen. We can like say, oh, we can spit out Bible verses. 
You can be a reader of the word and just skim the top. That's not going to mold and shape your character. And all of a sudden stuff are going to come out. You're like, I'm a Christian, but you're not asking very Christ-like. When you're a student of the word and it seeps down deep into you, where it's not just a sign on your front yard, but it's more a part of you, that's when you become a student. So you got to stop reading the word and you got to start studying the word. And so Christ is molded and shaped into your very character. Be a student of the word, not a reader of the word. Now, Andy Stanley, and it's one, it's one of the books on the resource list at the bottom of the notes tab. He is famous for saying this. Are you the person, the person that you're looking for is looking for? Are you the person, the person that you're looking for is looking for? So you're looking for a certified person. But are you the type of person? Have you molded? And he relates a story of a parent talking to a child and this child was out dating and they were dealing with all the frustrations of dating and they came across somebody like, oh, this is the perfect person. I want that person. And the parent was listening to this story and listening to the hopes and the dreams and the frustration and everything. And they described this person. And the parent said, sweetheart, I have news for you. That person that you're describing isn't looking for you. Are you the person... Have you been molded and shaped? We are looking. Great dates are person, a person who has been molded and shaped into the character of Jesus Christ. And that comes from being a student of the word, not by being a reader of the word. The Bible was meant to be studied, not meant to be read. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the entire Bible, longest chapter. It's all about studying God's word, about it getting deep into our hearts through study. I have hidden God's word in my heart. That means the the person who is studying has consumed it. It's become a, I've hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What is sin? Sin is when you are not truly who you are because you have studied this and it has molded and shaped your character. It's not a sign on your front yard. No, 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 no. It's deep into you because you have studied it and it has changed you. It has changed your identity and now you know your worth. Now you know your purpose. You're ready for an awesome dating life. Are you a student of the word or are you a reader of God's word? Now, I'm going to read a verse to you out of 1 Timothy Chapter two, and I want you to be prepared to chat it up in the chat, either on YouTube or on the Grace Live platform. Okay. Tell me what you think this verse. How do you like this verse? You ready for it? First Timothy 2.11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. What do you think about that? Huh? What's your reaction? You like that? Does that make you feel good? What do you think that means? A woman should learn in quietness and in full submission. Chat it up. What's your reaction to that? How are you supposed to know what in the world that means? If you're a reader of that, you're ready to run from that. Either you're ready to run away from it or you're ready to misunderstand it. But if you're a student, you're a searcher. You're like, what does that mean? You want to go deeper. You want to absorb. You want to understand. How does that fit with the character of Jesus Christ? So let me explain just a little bit about that verse. In the world in which that was written in 2,000 years ago, both the Greeks and the Romans had a very low view of women. They didn't educate women. There was no opportunity for women to be educated. They felt like women had a lower IQ and they should not even be educated. That was the world in which this verse was written in. And you know what male students who were given the privilege of learning? They had the privilege of learning. You know how they learned? They learned in quietness 
and in full submission. So what's Paul saying to Timothy as he writes that verse? He's saying that women in the house of Christ, a place that's being molded and shaped by the character of Christ, should also be given the privilege, should also be given the opportunity, not like the outside world who looks down on women, but they should be given the full rights and privilege of being students as well, just like men. Men, what's the characteristic of a man as he's learning, as he's in the classroom? Quietness and full submission. And Paul is saying women should receive that same right too because in the house, this house, in Christ's house, a woman should be given the awesome privilege of learning. Now all of a sudden, because you're a student of the word and not a reader, readers are reactors. They want to run away when they read that. But a student is a searcher. They're not a reactor. They're like, what does that mean? What's the context? What was this said underneath there? And now all of a sudden, you don't want to run away. You want to run too, because you're like, that's revolutionary. This is a rev- this is not a radically regressive statement. It's a radically progressive statement. How would you have known that unless you were a student? Tell me something, everybody. Unless you understood the context because you're a student of the word, how would you have known that the Bible is a radical shaper? of our lives, that it sets us free from things that are wrong. How would you have known that unless you were a student? Stop reading the Bible and start studying the Bible. The Bible is the center of our identity. It molds us. It shapes us. That's B. So A, we got to have more asks out on dates. We need more asking. B, more Bible study because that's our identity. It's the any book. What is the C? What's the final part of biblical and successful dating? You got to get a community dating board. Now, I don't care what you call it. Board, council, peeps, teams. You need people. Don't date alone. Quit this foolishness of dating alone. The Bible is really clear. Two are stronger than one. Three are even better. Three are even better. The more, the better. The Trinity is a divine community. Everything's about, we do everything better in community. You need some type of board, council, team, group, something. Because they help us. They encourage us. They lift us up when we're down. They pray for us. All kinds. They give us wisdom. There's so many wonderful things that having a community council in dating helps. Please stop, stop dating alone. Let me tell you one big thing that a community board does. They keep us sane. I just say it. We have a tendency. Our brains freak out when we're into romance, man. When things happen and we want to attach, you know, our, our brains are wired for passion and romance and attachment and it can kind of freak us out. We do some insane things. Now everybody else sees it. Everybody else sees the person going insane except for the person. We need a board. We need a council. We need a team to help us through that. All right, I want to talk about sexting for a second. All right, so ready. Put up the mature signs. They're on the screen, mature content. Please make sure you remove your kids. I want to talk about sexting for a second. What is sexting? It is a sex text. 49% of Americans have received a sex text. 49%. Now, ready for this? 25% of the people in America who have received that picture the sex text have shared it. 25% send it on out into the world. People's lives are affected. I, this causes all kinds of negative repercussions. Now, ready for this? Here's the big stat. 75% of the people who sent the sex text in the first place 
readily admit, oh, yeah, I know it could damage my reputation. Oh, yeah, I know it could damage my career. Oh, I know it was a really dumb, stupid, crazy thing to do. But they said it anyway. They said it anyway. Why? Because we go insane. We go absolutely insane over romance and we do dumb stuff. But what would happen if you had a community council board something and you went to them and said, hey, everybody, I'm thinking about with my phone here, I'm thinking about sending a sex text. You know what your board's going to say? Give me that phone. They're going to wrestle you down to the ground and say, give me that phone before you send that thing. Are you crazy? We need a board. We should not date alone. We need to date absolutely in community. Now, some people are going to say it right now. I know it. I've seen it. I've seen the look. Okay. All right. That's a good thought, John. I'll think about that. Uh, you know what? I don't know. I don't really know people. I just, you know, all kinds of things. You know, I'm not sure. You know, let, me, let, me, let me tell you. I'm going to translate what that means real quick for you. When, when people say that kind of stuff, I'm not sure. I don't know. Or, you know, I'll think about that. I'll think about that. Here's the translation. I don't want anybody telling me no when I'm about ready to do stupid shit. That's what it means. Let's get over that. That is a recipe for disaster. We need a community board. We need a council. We need a team to help us. And now that we are on the topic of sex, let's talk a little bit more about this. Sex in the Bible and in science, we've talked about this already in this series, is powerful. It's dangerous. And what do we do with dangerous things? We respect them. What do we do with powerful things? We respect them. You know, two weeks ago when I uh, was with that Dodge Demon when the guy handed me the keys, before I got behind the wheel, he said, that car's dangerous. What do we do with dangerous things? We respect them. We're careful with them. You go to Home Depot. You buy a chainsaw. They give you this manual. It has all these warnings in there. I don't say, doggone it, Home Depot is trying to limit my fun. No, no. I say, thank you. Thank you for protecting me from cutting my arm off. I worked for UPS for many years. And before I got behind that big, powerful package car, they sent me through all kinds of safety training. It was constant. We had a supervisor, told us all kinds of scary stories. One of the stories he told so graphically well that I never backed up in that UPS truck that I did not think about that story. Many times, actually, I would get out of the truck and I would go look to see what was behind it because it freaked me out so much. The UPS truck was big. It was powerful. And what do we simply do? We are careful. We were respectful. We plan all those things. We're just very, okay, do the same thing with sex. You got to be careful. It's powerful. Here's the thing. You want to make sure you get all the relationship right, all that stuff. You got to get it right first, everybody, before you introduce the power because sex is powerful. You got to get that right first. And then later, after you've committed that relationship, you've worked out that relationship, then in the Bible, then we talk about the next step of introducing sex. So let me give you another uh, quote here that I think is really, really important. Andy Stanley, again, again, the book is on the resource list. You are sexually compatible with far more people than you're relationally compatible with. That's why you have got to get the relationship right first. You're going to be sexually compatible. A lot of people say, you know what? I just want to find out if we're sexually compatible. Oh, you're probably going to be sexually compatible, right? Like the sex could be awesome. Like the sex that you're having with this person could be so smoking hot that you're literally, you're literally melting the paint off the bedroom walls. 
But let me give you a little insight here. If the relationship isn't working, the sex stops flowing. Yeah. So the sex could be awesome. But the deal is, if the relationship isn't working, there ain't no sex happening. It's done. Over. Tap's been turned off. Not happening. So it's really important. And this is the storyline the Bible gives us. First, you get everything right with the relationship. You come to that place of commitment. You see here, there's a marriage. And then there's the oneness. Then there's the sexual oneness. Because sex is powerful. You introduce it before you've come together in that commitment. There can be all kinds of problems. Look, I'm all for sex. I think sex is great. I think it's wonderful. So, you know, I'm not like this preacher who's saying, oh, yes, sex is dirty. No, sex is wonderful. It's great. It's awesome. But there is a certain rhythm. There's a certain sequence that needs to happen because I've heard so many people say, uh, I introduced it and it really screwed things up. Okay. So you want to get that right first and you want to respect it. Now, I want to end with a parting shot. I want to look forward to what we're going to do next week. Next week, we want to talk about a permanent hookup which is what our brains want. We're going to come full circle to where we started. Our brains are craving something. Deep in our brains, right next to where your thirst and hunger is, so it ain't changing, you crave a permanent attachment. And we want to bring joy to our brains. How can we get it? How can we get that permanent attachment in such a wonderful way? Well, our brains have actually given the answer. And that's what I want to talk about next week. There are three things that our brains, that show us in our brains when people have been in a long-term, beautiful, thriving marriage relationship that their brains have shown us, has given us the answer. And I want to talk about that. But I want to close today with an honorable mention, something that all marriages need and all dates need. And this is it. Novelty triggers love. Novelty novelty triggers love. You need to introduce to your marriage relationship something that's novel. Go out on a novel date. You need to introduce. You need to plan for novelty. You need to ask somebody on a date and you need to do something novel because novelty, we know this, triggers love. Now, Helen Fisher, when her team, and she's done so much, she's like one of the world's leading researchers on love. When she took her team to China, there was a guy on her team who was crushing on a girl that was on the team, but the girl wasn't responding to all of that crushing that he had. So he knew this. He knew that novelty triggered romance. So when they're in China, he had this idea. I'm going to see if I can trigger romance, if I can trigger romantic feelings, her to me, because I already got them for her. So I'm going to take her on a rickshaw ride. That's really novel. So they go out on the rickshaw ride. She's laughing. Laughing's great. Laughing's really good to trigger romance. She's laughing. She's smiling. She's having an awesome time. They get off of the rickshaw at the end. And she's like, that was awesome. Huge smile. She was so happy. And he's like, oh, yes, it triggered it. And then she says, and wasn't, wasn't that driver of the rickshaw so handsome? Okay, so it triggered romance, but it triggered it for the wrong person. Novelty. You must introduce novelty in your dating. I don't know. Go on a hot air balloon ride. Do something. I'm not saying you got to spend a lot of money. Some of those novel things are cheap, but you got to introduce novelty. Now, let me seriously conclude with this. I pray for divine matches. I pray for divine matches all the time. God is bringing Adam and Eve together. And I want you to know this. 
I pray for divine matches all the time, and I want to ask you to pray with me for divine matches. I pray that grace would be a place where people are finding a divine match. Now, maybe you're single and you really, really want to get married, or maybe you're married and you want your marriage to go better, or maybe you're like, I ain't never getting married, I don't care. If you love people and you love Jesus, then you will pray for people who are looking for a divine match because this is so important. I need every single one of us to put our prayers together right now today, the moment this service is over, say, God, would you would you make grace a place where divine matches are happening and they're happening all the time? I pray about this all the time. It's really important. Grace is a place where divine matches are going on.